0: Our regularly scheduled programs will not be seen tonight. Stay tuned for our special New Year's Eve programming. Get the gun. Get the gun. Shoot, 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 shoot. Get the gun. Get the gun. Shoot, 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 shoot. shoot, shoot. Get the gun wasn't my intention. It wasn't... We didn't sit down and go, get the... I never said get the f- gun.
1: Hello, hello. What is the crack, lads? It's Sabbath Bloody Podcast. I'm a madman, <laughs> And another week down, another new year for Ozzy. Thank you for joining me. My name is, of course, Rye. And we got a lot to touch on today. Should be a fun ride here. We're talking about suicide, we're talking about the Mighty Metallica, and we're still rolling with my boy Jakey in Ozzy Osbourne's band here. So before I get into things, I gotta pay my network dues, as always. The The Deep Dive Podcast Network, you got fucking Space High Nate and Rhode Island John over there at Deep Purple Podcast, you got T-Bone and his Prime Cuts. And the simple man at Skinnerd Reconsidered. What a motley crew we have, huh? (laughs) I need a fucking nickname like those guys. Can I be, like, Rye Wild or something? (laughs) Nah, I ain't that cool. Rye will do! (laughs) Oh, and also, I don't know if the old Dictaphone is picking this up here, but there's been, like, a motorcycle rally going on all day here. Some legit Canadian poser biker gang out there. (laughs) Probably a bunch of limp-dicked accountants with loud choppers. Not like a cool MC or anything. These guys are fucking annoying. They would just fuck off. Waking up my daughter during her nap. I was ready to go out there and fucking throw a stick in their goddamn spokes. Sorry. (laughs) But back to the network business here. I'm going to make this official. We got a new podcast out there that have been paying their dues. Over in the hidden Celtic chapter of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. And I think it's time to call them up. Despite these motorcycles... (laughs) Let's shout them out. In the lap of the pods, Paul, Dave, and Joe. I've been shouting these cats out before. A queen deep dive podcast, so welcome to the network, guys. We expect nothing of you except to keep being your badass selves. And don't ask us for anything. And shout us all out. (laughs) In the lap of the pods. Find it on all those podcast places. Yes, you know how to do that shit by now, right? But yeah, I mean, like, it's awesome having all these cats out there doing the same kind of thing as us. Because, you know, this kind of thing, doing these podcasts, this is a full-on passion project for us out there. Especially me. Like, I don't make a cent from this stuff. And it's such a cool community of people just yapping, taking the piss out of each other. So let me continue to give my shouts, my barks, to all the podcasters out there the Metallica ones, they'll all get their proper due actually later in the show here within the context of what we're covering but all the others, like my man Nick over at Podcast and a CD, check out his rundown of the Classic Aussie catalog I think he does every album up to like Osmosis, and he has some great connections to the material as a musician himself, so he great lessons, check out Nick and also guys like Brian Swords over at the Double Stop, whose interviews I've kind of pillaged and put into my show here make it half-listenable. The deep dives that he's done over there with the behind the scene players, like, it's really the only reason why a show like mine works, pulling his shit out. So, you gotta give it up for him. Go over there, listen to all that. I'd never want to be like an interviewer. I don't find that. Like, I just don't have a drive to do that. But these guys, like, him and Nate over at Vinyl Guide, same deal with him. And the Cobras and Fires lads, I've been pulling interview clips from their shows, and they're cool shit about it, too. Totally cool with me using the Jakey stuff. So go listen in full if you're digging like the little clips on the show. A lot of Jakey gold that I've been sampling here. All those incredible stories of Ozzy coming in to the hotel room in the middle of the night drunk as hell. Those are from the Cobras and Fires podcast. So go check that one out too. Give them likes and five stars, all that shit. Pay your respects. (laughs) Because I can vote for all these cats that I mentioned here. So let's keep the train rolling though. With Podcast of a Mad Man. We're heading into 1986, people. <laughs> so, early on in 1986, Ozzy gets tied up in some court dates here right away. I have to talk about this shit, obviously, but, you know, it is an absolutely scum attempt to extort some money out of the Ozzy camp, but it's famous. <laughs> so, On January 13th, 1986, both Aussie and CBS Records are sued by the parents of a grown-ass man named Jack McCollum. He committed suicide, apparently while listening to records, and according to the police reports, Blizzard of Oz was found on the turntable and there was a photo of the crime scene that showed him still wearing the headphones when he ended his life. Now, I think this case is absolutely ridiculous, but in the 1980s, heavy music was a big target for censorship and being prosecuted by the extreme right for being satanic and fucking immoral. And that all factors into this case even being a thing. Like, it was fuel for the PMRC and the Tipper Gore Bible Thumpers to justify their unjust policing of creative content at this time. And that's why this case was big front page news in 1986. I mean, separate the bullshit for a moment. It is sad that this guy decided to check out like that. I never make light of a suicide. It's a tragic thing, no matter the age or the reasoning behind it. But the case that his dumbass fucking parents make here is obviously just a scam to make a buck. And it's disgraceful, in my opinion. I don't care if I come off as insensitive towards them, but the whole thing is a fucking circus. So Judas Priest had actually been targeted in a couple of large-profile suicide cases as well. And it got tons of press, so there's no doubt that that was the motivating factor be- behind Ozzy being targeted here next. It's fucking all about cash, man. There's It's not about justice for their departed son or something like that. Like, they could do that on Oprah or hard copy. But they decide to take it to the courts and get some money out of it. And of course, I know, they would have been devastated at the time, I get that. Although it's pretty heinous of them to just... Go after a musician and assume that it's that that triggered his son's choice to end it. And several years after the fact, too. Like, it was 1984 when Jack did the deed. And these claims didn't come forward until 1986, so two years. I get it, there's a mourning period, but the claims also included that Osborne had hidden messages, like calls to action for listeners to go and get the gun and shoot. <laughs> and that's what triggered him. Uh, ridiculous stuff. Max Norman, the producer for the Blizzard of Oz album, which Suicide Solution appeared on, he was actually cross-examined for putting these hidden messages into the breakdown of Suicide Solution. There's a clip from the double-stop interview that we've been dipping in and out of that I can drop in here with Max kind of explaining that process.
2: Uh, The uh, 24 tracks from those sessions much later, because of one of the lawsuits where he was being sued for backward masking and all that stuff, we uh I had to go to the I had to go up to BlackRock in New New York and a bunch of attorneys there and all this sort of stuff. And we had to reproduce that what these people thought they heard. And actually funnily enough, uh the story was I got up there and I said, Look, I only had one delay. I had an AMS fifteen eighty digital and it only went to in those days memory of course very expensive, was, you know, back in the early days of digital stuff, so uh, I think it only had 408 milliseconds delay and so that being the longest delay that I could throw in there on the mixes that was that was basically what it was and that's how I remembered it I said well I know it had to be you know this because that's as high as it went I'm not sure if that's the exact number anymore of course but so we put that delay on and I put it on stereo so I went into one side bounced out of the re- return into the other side etc cetera, etc cetera, and ping ponged it into the track and sure enough, it did really sound like uh, we soloed it up. And sure enough, it did really sound like he was saying something crazy backwards. But it was actually a combination of the echoes adding and and repeating. So it was a it was it was kind of an interesting thing. I was like, oh, holy moly! Yeah, because I said, you know, look, it's just serendipitous. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't. We weren't doing the last thing Ozzy was doing was like being satanical. Yeah. you know, he was being more, um, you know. Scotch, scotchical, <laughs> or vo- vodkaical, you know, oh yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, that just it just wasn't on the cards. So it was basically that was a sort of non sequitur, really.
1: So yeah, there's some trippy stuff in there, some pan and man, but it, not an intentional suicide call to action. Let's actually play the thing here, shall we? <laughs> and disclaimer: Don't listen to this part if you're not prepared to take your own life. <laughs> Sorry, gallows humor here. Here's the breakdown as it appears on the album Blizzard of Oz. And the words that were claimed to be in this message here are, Come on now, people. You know what it's about. Why try? Get the gun. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Are you still with me? when did you follow those directions? <laughs> like, what bullshit? It just sounds like Ozzy's trying to do a little Robert Plant-style vocal scat there to me. And as Max mentioned, they're throwing some delay on there to trip it out, man. Like, it's just harmless rock and roll. That part, though, Daisley, the lyricist himself, confirms that what they actually said was a little inside joke. The Daisley date. i he mentions that Ozzie was making some sort of joke about getting the flaps out. Flaps being a jolly old English slang for the term vagina. So, folks, we're definitely getting mixed messages here. There's no harm in getting your flaps out, but don't get the gun. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, just to close the case on this Jack McCollum file, it was also revealed in the court case that Jack was suffering from alcohol abuse and emotional problems when he chose to end his life. So the judge ruled out the case saying that the musical lyrics and the vagina poetry it can't be construed as the sole direct cause of a suicide. So thankfully, common sense prevails. But a fucking waste of time, huh? It takes several years, I'm sure, a shit ton of legal fees and lawyers being hired for the Supreme Court to rule that the First Amendment protects Ozzy against all future lawsuits that allege his music encourages suicide because there's a slew of fucking ass clowns lining up to try to blame Ozzy for their own misfortunes and here's Ozzy to give us his final thoughts before we move on
0: when it, when, when the news first got to me I thought it was a joke I heard it when I was in England and then I flew to Los Angeles and as, I, as I'm getting off the plane there's about 900 cameras flashing and i I'm, 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 think, I'm looking over my shoulder thinking I'm walking in front of somebody like Elizabeth Taylor or something, you know. I had not a clue it had got so big or anything. So I I, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it, you know, that anyone would even think that, 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 you know, you'd make someone would make a record for someone to kill themselves to, you know. I mean, what, what's all that about, you know? I mean, it's a lot of old baloney. It's... I mean in actual fact the song was written about Bun Scott from ACDC who 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 so tragically died from uh, hypothermia in caused from the uh, every night on the booze and he fell asleep in, in the car and froze to death. And uh, that was the intention of the song. When and, and that that kicks off a whole whole new ball game. I mean, I mean I was getting sued by all kinds of different people. I mean, I think there's about seven seven lawsuits at the moment going
1: on. So back to the boys, making music now. The Ultimate Sin is ready to roll out on February 6th, 1986. Phil Suzanne's offering for Ozzy, Shot in the Dark, is premiered as the lead-off single. And being that they're already in the UK at this point, they do it on the tube. Top of the pops, baby.
0: You beat waiting cards, they're waiting cards. The proudly presents the star Ozzy,
3: Osmond.
1: Shot really isn't my bag, I'll say that. Of all the kind of dated Aussie songs that are out there, this one is most locked in its production era. I get that it was popular at the time, though, but it kind of stands out on the album. Like, Daisley and Jake's songs, they're fucking bangers. Timeless. This one just kind of feels safe, set in the mid-'80s. Ultimate Sin is overall like a heavy... Guitar driven album for the most part, I think. But for the single, this is a very synthy kind of pop. Just an 80s keyboard soaked, slower kind of trance number. I mean, I do like it, but it's certainly not a good representation of the album as a whole. If you're going to try to get into though, or like profile the whole album, I'd go for a track like Never. Like fucking killer Jakey song there. Sounds a lot like his Badlands stuff. Or even like the title track. It's fucking great. And Killer of Giants, amazing epic. There's some hidden gems on this album. I might actually take it as a whole over Bark at the Moon at this point. It just has a little more edge. I love Ultimate Sin. I'm just not into Shot that much, personally. Now, February 6th, that's the premiere date of the Top of the Pops deal that they do, but those things are obviously pre-taped because the same day in my spreadsheet of Doom here, the Ultimate Sin tour kicks off in Belfast with the obligatory UK-Ireland stint. So I assume they taped the Top of the Pops deal in London in like the previous week or something then they flew over to Ireland to kick off the cycle. They bang around up there for a little bit through February into early March. In fact, Ozzy's playing two nights in his hometown of Birmingham when The Ultimate Sin is officially released on February 2nd, 1986. And like I said... What a fucking underrated album Ultimate Sin is. Everything about it is boss. Like, I love the presentation with that heavy metal magazine looking chick on the cover and the Aussie dragon creature, which they actually recreate that Aussie dragon thing as a silly stage piece during this cycle. Sitting in a throne with like smoke coming out of its laser eyes. It's hilarious. And it's also badass. So, by March 4th, they finish up that UK mini cycle. And then it's back to America. And that's where they join up with a new opener. I think it was maybe Rat on the UK cycle, some other. When they get to America in March, the mighty Metallica joins the bill. That's right. Metallica on their Master of Puppets cycle, too. Opening for Ozzy on this big US swing. It doesn't get any better than this, does it? Does it, Ralph? (laughs) I know you're listening, brother. But many equate this tour as... Metallica's breakthrough moment. They were ready to headline themselves at that point. In fact, I think they might have already been doing that in Europe for the ride cycle. But the big, proper U.S. tour in support of Ozzy is the perfect deal for them. As our favorite Dane, Lars Ulrich, explains here in this interview he did in 1986.
3: It's going great, really great. I mean, they're being really, really great to tour with because, like, they're giving us 55 minutes and um, we have, like, they're giving us like the opportunity to use our own like specially made stage set, and um, it's like I think they've realized the whole organization that if we go out and give the audience a good kick, you know, then get them like really fired up and get them energetic, you know, that when Aussie comes out, he's you know the audience are going to be even more receptive to what he's doing, you know. So it sort of works both ways, and I think Ozzy's reached the point now where he's you know, so big and so also confident in what he's doing that there's no need to give, you know, support acts like us a hard time, you know, because, like I said, the harder we go out and get the audience sort of energized and sort of ready for sort of the big man himself, you know, the better he's going to go down.
1: we got to get a Mars interview, huh? (laughs) So a great combo here. And Ozzy giving Metallica nearly an hour as an opener. That's pretty fucking generous of him. But I mean, how could you not? Like, the way that those boys were cooking at that point, it's a nice long cycle, too. It takes a bit for Oz to actually warm up to the Metallica boys, though, as he tells us here in this 1988 interview.
0: I mean, I mean, I, mean, I remember touring with Metallica, and, I, and for the first maybe four or five weeks, they wouldn't fucking come near me and I thought, what the fuck's the matter with these cunts? What's the matter with them? They must be on some fucking mega ego trip these guys. And then one day I walked back walked down to the backstage and I can hear fucking black Sabbath news and I thought, these guys are asking to be fucking thrown off the tournament, they're taking the piss now. I mean they're playing the white to coming down the drive now and they're fucking playing <laughs> volume four every time I walk. Right. And I said to the two I said, what's the fucking deal here, man? They don't talk to me. And I started playing my fucking And He says, You don't understand, nothing. That's probably what it says. He says, you don't understand, man. They fucking think you're the fucking end of the world. I mean, this aren't. There. And talk about a fucking double-take. I mean, I never, at that point, never did I ever believe that Black
1: Sabbath had influenced anybody musically. So things leveled out quickly here, and Ozzy eventually warms up to his warm-up act. In particular, I've heard him speak fondly of bassist Cliff Burton, whom this was his last tour before tragedy would strike Metallica much in the same way it did Ozzy. But there was some great drinking and drugging stories with Cliff and Ozzy. I think they smoked a lot of Sweet Leaf together, and Ozzy even passed out under Cliff's bed one night without Cliff even knowing until the morning. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. So, Ozzy is up to his old ways here, boozing and partying hard. You cannot stop the bats to ree when they're out on tour with these guys, right? Some riots at shows, too, as often is the case with Metallica or Ozzy. I think Ozzy was the blame with this story here though. April twenty first, nineteen eighty six, they roll into the Meadowlands Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and Ozzy decides to use his influence over the masses and attendance. He rallies them beyond the usual Let's go fucking crazy, man He actually invites them to rip out the seating at the hockey arena and start tossing it around. I imagine the concert got stopped pretty quickly at that point. But Ozzy gets the blame for inciting the riot, and it costs him over $80,000 in damage, so the Ultimate Sin Tour takes a little bit of a loss on that night, but, you know, other than that kind of thing, which is just badass rock and roll anyway, it's a very successful tour for a lot of them. It goes from March 27th way into August of that year, though not celebrated as the prime live era of Ozzy. It's cool that the Ultimate Sin Tour happened at all, because this is when Ozzy and Metallica start a bond here that lasts right through the ages. And the timing, of course, of these two behemoths sharing the stage couldn't be better. Like, when it happened, this was a real shift in the top of the heavy metal food chain. You know, there's a respect there that Metallica has for Sabbath, of course, but Ozzy is kind of in his glam state here, which is very anti what early 80s Metallica was all about. He's essentially hair metal, glam kind of look. Songs aren't so glam, but... Having Metallica, this young metal attack, (laughs) opening the festivities, it's given Ozzy some cred, too, with the thrash crowd. But in the same way, you know, it's a big growing point for the Metallica boys. They kind of transition out of their... Kill the Posers true mentality that they had on Kill Them All and Ride the Lightning. And I think they kind of are humbled a little bit here by being in the opening spot for an artist that they respect like Ozzy. And check out this interview here with James and Cliff.
4: We're playing a lot of places that we wouldn't usually play if we we're headlining because of, you know, tour budget. And in front of a lot of kids that wouldn't come to see us, you know, if we were headlining maybe, just, you know, because... A chance Aussie. to make some more fans, you know? Yeah. People that just wouldn't Reach see Reach out it. and grab some more. I've talked to
3: a lot of hardcore metal fans and they say, quote, Metallica have sold out. What's your response to something
4: like that? I think you could do it on <laughs> a TV. <right? laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, We're not too worried about them. We do what we want to do, you know? If they consider that selling out, then uh, whatever. There's a lot of people think you sold out just because you're on a major label and are very popular. Or maybe you don't play a thousand miles an hour the whole time, or, you know. I mean, we'd just we be doing the same thing if we were still on, you know, independent label. You know, what? not trying to be something big and fancy, you know. It's just us doing what we do. Let's like yeah. keep it that way. Bring the music more across instead of the look. Not try and hide anything.
3: That also ties in with what you
1: said about just being like the kids are coming. to
4: eh. see you. Yeah, yeah. You know, just... A lot of times we'll get hassled, you know, Where's your past? They think of some punter trying to get back. <laughs> it's cool. I like hiding the past so they hassle you.
1: <laughs> See, I think they're showing some more maturity there than just the old whole fuck the posers thing. They have a real confidence now in their own music. And on the last date of that tour, Metallica even joined Ozzy for the Paranoid Encore, which I don't recall him ever doing with like Motley Crue or anything, so... Some serious two-way respect going down after this cycle. And that's really the takeaway from today, I guess. This installment is really about paying respect. (laughs) And in that vein, I want to take a second and pay some respect to the Metallica podcasts. (laughs) Because all of them collectively got me into wanting to do these deep dive kind of things. And I'm having a blast still. So cheers to the Metallicast, Metallichat, Alpha Metallica, Tom. And Metal up your podcast, of course. Clint and Ethan, you guys are great. A little revving of a fucking Harley for you there as a cheers as well like do I live in Sturgis no but it feels like it some days anytime I try to record there's always fucking choppers going by anyway so Ozzy then breaks off to do Donnington 86 Metallica goes on to Scandinavia headlining again and on a sad note it's in September of this year that Metallica's bus flips over while they're on tour in Sweden, killing the great Cliff Burton. And although I've only been toasting members leaving Ozzy here, Cliff gets an honorary salute to the major rager on the four-string, motherfucker. I love you, Cliff. So, So before I take off for the week here, let's hit one more big concert date for 86, August 16th. The Monsters of Rock, Castle Donington. That's a good one to play from, right? Let's see what rock gods graced the castle in 1986. So, Ozzy headlines the festival. You got the Scorpions, Def Leppard, Motorhead. Fucking killer year here. And then, the undercard, you got Bad News. I don't know them. And Warlock. Warlock was Doros Band, so some female-fronted fucking power metal there for you. No American acts by the look of it here. They're keeping it in the EU with that bill. Donington always has a fucking massive show, though. And the set list here that we get from Ozzy is very Ultimate Sin-heavy. They open with Bark at the Moon, which is that's an awesome opener. I love it when they do that. They do that with Zach a bunch of times, too. It's a fucking killer one to rip out to. Then you got Suicide Solution, Never Know Why, which is a new one. Mr. Crowley, Shot in the Dark, another new one. I Don't Know, Killer of Giants, another new one. So they kind of go back and forth. There's a guitar solo that goes into Thank God for the Bomb. Flying High Again. Secret Loser. See, they almost play the whole goddamn record here. This is amazing. Castillo gets a drum solo, and then it's into Sabbath. Iron Man, Crazy Train, Paranoid, Crazy Train's Aussie, but, you know. It's into the stereotypical closers. an Aussie set. But let's drop in on Jakey and the Boys here. There's a great BBC broadcast recording of this show. So this one will actually sound half decent. Playing a track from The Ultimate Sin here. Kind of a deep cut too. A track that was originally going to be the name of the album. I just recently found that out. This is Killer of Giants. Killer of Giants. What Yeah. To this album. I mean, like, I knew Shot in the Dark and Ultimate Sin as a kid, but I never really dove into this record until recently, so maybe that's why I like it so much. It's fresh to me. I think it's on par, if not better, than my beloved Bark at the Moon. As far as the Jakey stuff goes, ranks pretty high. After Donington, though, some random gigs wrap up the year, some more festival stuff. There's a gig in Toronto here, too, which is kind of out of the blue. These might be makeup gigs for some cancellations or something. The last show of 1986, though, it's No Sleep Till Hammersmith. They play the Odeon in November. And then, you know, nothing really happens in December, at least by my spreadsheet. Nothing's booked. They decide to power down a bit, I guess. So, a relatively clean end point for the show today. Awesome. I like that. So we'll reconvene next week, heading into 1987 already, which is another rebuilding year for the Aussie lineup, but... We'll get into all that shit next week. Leave me a review, lads. Five stars on Apple Podcast. That's the motherfucking deal we have, right? You pay it forward for all this free rambling that I give you on a weekly basis. You know, I might need to take some breaks, too. This weekly thing is fucking hard for me. Especially when you're going solo, you burn out pretty fast. If I had another bloke with me to fucking bounce ideas off of and take the reins every once in a while. But when it's just me, you know, I get a little stir-crazy doing these. (laughs) But your guys' feedback and the interaction, that's what makes it fun. So get at me on Twitter, at SabbathBloodyPC. Email me, sabbathbloodypodcast at gmail.com. Because. I talk to you. All right. Life, it seems, will fade away. <laughs> and I'll see you. <laughs> Play
3: that shit backwards.